0: My name is Sean W., and I'm an alcoholic. I'm also strung out on Folgers. As you can see a cup of coffee and a chaser. Uh, by the grace of God and all that stuff that they talked about a minute ago. And uh, also the Department of Corrections. Uh, I've been sober since June 14th. Uh, up, yeah, 2006. Yeah, so it's it's been a while. <clears throat> and I think at this very moment right now is the first time that I've been sober and actually feel like peeing on myself. <laughs> I've never spoken at, a, at, you know, a venue like this. I mean, sterling silver coffee cups and, <laughs> you know, ribbons and cookies and, you know, four-star hotel and they put some hot chick as my host. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be diverted from my primary purpose. <laughs> so, so, so you all know, get a chance to, to uh, uh, come to you guys and speak, and uh, you know, it it is a privilege. It truly is. And you know, after uh, after I shake off this nervousness, uh, Buren uh, Buren P, will you please stand up? Buren, stand up please For those of y'all that don't know him that's Alcoholic Number 5 <laughs> he, he he wrote most of our literature uh, you know I think his face is on like the 50 year sobriety coin Uh when I came to AA everywhere I went Buren was there and I'm like wow and and you know I've been sober uh almost 9 years and it seemed like Buren hasn't aged a day. Look at that guy; He looks like George Hamilton or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> he just amazes me with, you know, with his charisma. I, I think he's in the witness protection program or something. <laughs> I really truly really do. But uh, anyway, enough of all that. Uh, I'll get right to it, uh, man. I, I am, uh, <laughs> I'm blown away by being here again, and uh, I probably won't speak long. Uh, Cause I got to use the bathroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I was supposed to come up here and tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and uh, what it was like. Uh, I started out uh, introduced to alcohol at a real, real early age. Uh, my uncles were heavy drinkers, and uh, they they used to come to our house, and I'll I'll give you the setting. Uh, we lived in the ghetto. Uh, seven brothers and sisters and me, eight kids, uh, single mom, uh, and we lived in a two bedroom housing project. And, uh, you know, I've been to a lot of speakers' meetings since I've been in recovery, and you'll hear this deal, you know, uh, I felt like I didn't fit in. Well, I lived in an all black neighborhood, so yeah. That's <laughs> pretty much screwed, you know. And then, <laughs> And then they gave me some alcohol, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, that, you know, displaced feeling, eight years old, you know, not knowing anything and, you know, giving, giving me this stuff. And they called it a, they told me in the beginning, they said, hey, here, drink this. And I'm like, what is that? And they're like, Kool-Aid with a kick. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I've seen what it did to them most of the time. I seen the happiness and the joyous and the laughter and the honky-tonk music would be cranked up, and they'd just have a you know a, a grand old time. Now, I didn't associate uh, heavy drinking and alcoholism and all that stuff until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got some awareness about what alcoholism is. So, you know, at that time, it was like, uh, you know, they'd have fun. Uh, they gave me some. I'd have fun with them. You know, I like the warm, fuzzy feeling. Uh, I truly, truly did. And it was not Kool Aid with a kick. It was Mad Dog 2020. (laughs) They drank that high end stuff, you know, (laughs) Wild Irish Rose and, you know, Mad Dog 2020 and uh, Thunderbird and stuff like that. So, you know, they bring it in there and they party. I drink, you know, and uh, man, it gave me a sense of kind of like what I'm feeling now. I'm the center of attention. And, uh, man, I thrived on it. And, uh, you know, when that alcohol hit my system and, uh, you know, I I had that um, uh, sense of comfort and ease and, you know, I'm eight years old. And, see, I I had a lot of issues going on. Uh, I didn't know this until I got into recovery, of course. And, uh, you know, uh, I never knew who my dad was. Uh, I had seven brothers and sisters. Five was from uh, one father. Two... Was from another man, and then me, and I never knew who my dad was. So I I was kind of displaced, you know. And uh, later on, uh, through the years, when I when I end up in recovery, I find out I got daddy issues. You know, who wants to know that they got daddy issues? But you know, I got this, you know, fear of rejection, and you know, this resentment toward men, and you know, this abandonment, and all this old stuff. But you know, throughout my life. I didn't know that that stuff was kind of driving me, you know, and I needed some ease and comfort to, you know, to be okay in my own skin when I'm around other people. And alcohol provided that for me. That and a lot of other issues, and uh, man, I heard the most clever stuff. Uh, See, I did not discriminate uh, when I was out there putting substances in me. I'm telling you, uh, man, I would chew a nine-volt battery if it gave me a (laughs) buzz. I mean, it just gave me a buzz, man. But I heard the most clever thing in an AA meeting the other day. These guys come up with something new, and you know we're evolving and all that old stuff, you know. This guy started talking about alcohol enhancers. And I'm like, how clever, you know. It's not an outside issue. It's an enhancer. And, you know, I'm like, so look for the next business meeting. They'll probably try to put that in a big book. That's what I had. And... uh you know this guy he used to sh- you know he shared about that and i get to think about my life i didn't need no enhancer uh hell i just anything to get me out of the moment and uh, alcohol provided that for me you know uh just about all my life until it uh turned on me and uh you know uh it turned on me in such a way uh of course i didn't know it was happening uh that's the mysterious thing about alcoholism uh you're the last person to know that you're alcoholic you know and uh I'm going through life, and uh, at eight, nine years old, my uncles come over, we drink, uh, pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization would present itself over and over and over again. You know, like when they come over, i drink some of that Mad Dog 2020, and I'd get warm and fuzzy and, you know, start dancing and having a good time and getting in the groove of things. Then i just drink too much, and then it become a mess. You know, I'd get the room spinning and the bed spins and, you know, that old queasy. Oh, man. The stuff was pretty tough going down, but coming back up, that's a whole other story. You know, <laughs> I'd laying there and just vomit and puke and, you know, just be a wreck for days at a time. Can't go to school, you know, that type of thing. And, you know, th- this is my childhood. And uh so we move out of this all-black neighborhood. And, uh you know, I did not know at such an early age... That, you know, I was so, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, man, just real easy, you know, uh, to for me to become like somebody else, you know. Uh, I can't think of that $10 word right now. But uh, it was just so easy for me to be peer pressured or whatever, whatever, wh- whatever that word is. And, uh, you know, I'd be drinking. I'm in the hood. My uncle's come over. You know, it's all good. And then they'd leave. And then I just got black friends. And, you know, I always felt. Out, out of place and uh, you know uh, I did not know that me being raised with black people that eventually that 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 it would rub off on me you know and uh, you know if you raise for real if you raise a, a, a duck with chickens <laughs> or a chicken with, with ducks he's going to quack <laughs> and I guess you could say I was a quacker And You know, you know, I was cool You know, I'm fitting in with the black folks And, you know, I had this little swag to me And, you know, it's back in the 70s and all this old stuff And, you know, we moved to an all-white neighborhood Screwed again, you know I'm used to, you know, Motown, Michael Jackson You know, the Temptations and stuff like that And I go over there and they're listening to Molly Hatchett And Led Zeppelin And, you know, all the Kiss and stuff like that And, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm out of sorts again, man But they they were, you know, they were smoking that dope. They were. They were smoking that dope. So, you know, I started smoking that dope, and, you know, it it progressed, and, uh, you know, I started to mature, and uh, then this other disease happened uh, called adolescence, and you know, I am really flicked it now. You know, I'd have been a black neighborhood, a white neighborhood, don't know who I am. You know, I'm drinking wine, smoking that dope, you know, all that old stuff. And at 13, 14 years old, I'm easily influenced. That's the word I was looking for. And at 13, 14 years old, I had my eye on this guy that lived across the street, kind of like what y'all talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, He had what I wanted, and I was willing to go to any length to get it. Uh, He lived across the street, and he didn't have to go to school. And uh, he had these little girls coming over there, and they'd they'd have fun, if you know what I mean. And, uh, you know, this hormones is raging about me, and I'd go over there, and, you know, I'd associate with him just about every night. And then it gradually became I wouldn't go home, then I wouldn't go to school, then I'm just hanging out over all the time. And uh, he had this cool mom. Uh, she kind of ran the, the flop house, you know, for all us belligerent little kids to come over there. We'd go down in the basement and we'd chill at Robert's, you know, s- smoke the dope, drink Jim Beam, the little girls would come over. Of course, you know, I'm I'm a virgin but it, it 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 interests me a lot you know <laughs> so uh you know uh he got to talking to me and i got to talking to him we're drinking one night and you know I, i'm scared to death man you know when i'm sober about like i am a little bit right now it take me a little bit you know, i don't know drink more water drink more coffee hell i don't know but about like i am now a little bit nervous you know then i kind of get in the groove you know and uh i'm sitting over and i'm talking to him and he's like yeah man he said uh yeah, if you're going to become a man, you know, because that's what we did. We drank to try to be like men. You know, we drank some hard, hard stuff, and we'd tell each other, that put hair on your chest. And then after two or three shots, we'd look, you know. <laughs> 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 then we have drinking games and things like, you know, we're, we're, we're belligerents. You know, we're juvenile delinquents, And uh, we got to talk about that sex stuff. And, uh, you know, sober, I'm not letting anybody see me naked. It just, it, I'm a 2 towel guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's just not happening. But after three or four, you know, good shots of Jim Beam, hell, I'm a porn star. <laughs> I ain't never had sex, you know. But uh, <laughs> he tells me I need, you know, I I need to get with the groove, and you know, I need to, you know, get my feet wet. We'll just go with that because it's a, you know. Cleaning up here a little bit, uh, <laughs> so uh, he tells me. He said, "Man, he said, uh, you know, uh, that girl back there, uh, she's about your age, and she likes to party, and maybe you can go back there and get you a little of that." And I'm like, "Okay, we'll give it a shot." So uh, I go back there, and we're drinking, we're partying, and that's another little flop house, you know. We go back there, and uh, man, she didn't want to, she didn't want to mess with me, but but her aunt did. <laughs> She, she was 24 years old and had four kids, and man, hey, we were back there drinking. She was a cocktail waitress at a bowling alley, and she come in. <laughs> she she'd come in with all them drinks about one or two in the morning, you know. And I'm back there, you know, I'm trying to do what my, you know, Robert wants me to do, and you know, I'm back there and I'm trying to get my groove on, and she just comes in there and I'm in the bathroom using the bathroom, and then next thing you know. Man, I thought that I, I had arrived. Not till I did a four-step did I find out I was a victim of sexual abuse. <laughs> I'm a 14-year-old egomaniac, man, and uh, you know now I'm trying to become a man. And uh, after these bodily fluids were exchanged, uh, she became my old lady, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to go home, Uh, I love the effect produced by sex, I really, really do. I did not want to go home, I stayed back there with her, and I assumed the role of daddy. She had four children. I was in the eighth grade, and (laughs) (laughs) and my oldest was in the fifth. (laughs) <laughs> so, so see, see when I finally made it years down the road to AA and was introduced to the Big Book, and they talk about fool flight from reality. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot, is what I am. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm back here. I'm assuming the role of dad, and uh, you know, we're drinking now. I'm running the flop house. You know, I'm telling people when they can and can't go, and you know what they can do here. And time to go, you know, and then roll back here, and you know, and get you know, abused a little more, which I thought was really, really fun, you know. <laughs> so so we decided. Uh, and and see, when I came to AA, I was introduced to AA in, inside the jail in a recovery program. So the big book was the centerpiece. Uh, I did not come off the street, that's not my story, into an AA meeting and try to get sober. I was offered either go to recovery or 15 years in prison. <laughs> hey! <laughs> sign me up you know so uh i'm inside the jail and they bring this big book in here and, and we got this we're in a recovery program and uh the big book is the centerpiece you know this is the centers around all the homework so uh they're telling me in here i need to read uh the doctor's opinion i didn't have a problem with the phenomenon of craving i did not have a problem uh with this physical allergy stuff it explains stuff when i when i reviewed my life to which I had no reasonable explanation, you know, because I, I did stuff like this, man, and, and, and you know, just plumb craziness. And I'm not going to get into a bunch of them, but I will tell you, uh, man, I got in some death defined situations. Uh, I'm lucky to be here. And, uh, you know, we're in this big book, and then they tell us to go into Bill's story. Here's how I relate to Bill's story. Bill put Lois in a sidecar, <laughs> stuffed her in there, with a bunch of blankets and tents and money and borrowed money from somebody and head off across the country. I did the same crap. Me, my old lady, four kids and a pit bull. <laughs> we loaded up and moved to Florida. We're going to go down there and, you know, of course, the moment I hear we're moving to Florida, because see the heat's on. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be in school. You know, kids are saying things. Mom's asking questions. You know, I'm in the back of the subdivision, you know, hiding out, you know, full flight from reality. And, I, you know, uh, we get this idea, we'll just move to Florida. So we move to Florida. And uh we load all these kids up and uh the pit bull, and, uh you know, we move down there. I get introduced to mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whole other ball game. No matter what kind of buzz I had, it left when I got there. Because <laughs> I, I was fully loaded, and how I drank was, uh, you know, I drank a lot of Little Kings. Because you, you know, you could fill the floorboard up, you know, and be a full, full, full-blown man. You know, beer bottles, kids, dog, old lady, 72 Buick LeSabre. You know, I'm a badass, 15 year old boy. <laughs> <laughs> So when, I, when, when, we, when the trip's finally over, it took us like 24 hours or something like that, you know, and I get down there. And, of course, I did have a buzz, and like I said, until I seen her. Uh, I got out of that little Sabre, and I'm driving. And uh, I get out of there, and I got four kids behind me. One of them ain't too much shorter than I am. And we're walking up through there, and I, I, I get a glimpse of her, and she's kind of looking out like, Which one are you? <laughs> Thinking I'm one of her grandbabies. So my chest goes out, you know, and I just can't look at her, you know. I'm the daddy. (laughs) And of course, we make it on in the house. And uh, I don't know what kind of conversation she had with my old lady, per se, but it was not a good one. And there was a sense of uh, impending doom. I can only hold out so much, you know. I, I'd send my old lady to go get me a, a six-pack of old Weedemann is what it was, them tall Weedemanns. They sold six of them for a dollar down at the corner. Mark. Yeah, I mean, i man, get hyped up on them Weedemanns, and, I, you know, I could handle mother-in-law. But when I, you know, in the morning time when I'm all sober and stuff like that, man, I am scared to death. But put a few beers in me, boy, I'll put her straight. You know what I mean? And uh, one morning I was in there and I was, you know, in between, you know, buzzes and in there watching cartoons with the kids. (laughs) (laughs) And here she come. And I looked at her and she looked at me and she said, you know, the gig is up. (laughs) I said, what? She said, you're not just going to lay around here and not take care of your kids. I don't have no response to that. You know what I mean? Uh, hell, I'm on the hot seat here. And she goes, What are you going to do to take care of them babies? And I said, well, well, I'll get a job. And she said, What kind of, what do you do? And and the only thing I've ever done in my life was mow grass. <laughs> and I'd also, with Robert, during summer break, I'd hot walked horses, you know, out at the uh, training center down there in Lexington. But I wasn't going to tell her that I'm a hot walker. So I just looked at her, and I told her I was a jockey. <laughs> and, she, and then she looked back at me, and I thought I was safe. You know, Florida, there's, you know, I'm a kid. I'm 15 years old. You know, there's nothing but alligators down there. You know, and she goes, well, well good thing that you live here, because you won't have no problem getting a job. I said, what do you mean? She said, this is the horse capital of the world. And I looked at her, and I said, no, huh? That's Lexington, you know? And she said, No, honey. We got horses everywhere down here. I was in Hylia, Florida. <laughs> there's, there's horses all over the place. It's a big old, you know, it's kind of like a center point for, you know, uh, shipping them overseas and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, I'm stuck, you know? So she'd come in there, and, you know, I, I'd, I'd try to get by with just drink a few beers and watching some cartoons, but, you know, she, she just wasn't flying. So uh, uh, she come in there and jumped on me one morning, and I'm like, okay, I'll go get a job. And So I left, and uh, 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 of course, see, I'm the kind of guy, if I put something in me, I just fantasize and become. I get such a good buzz, I can do anything. I don't know what kind of drunk you are, but hey, put some fluid in me, man, I'll man, I'll fly. <laughs> I can do anything. So, you know, uh, I get real good and buzzed, and I go, go up here to this guy at the training center in Hialeah, Florida, and I walked up to him, and, you know, I was a little bitty guy, I walked up to him, and uh, I said, uh, hey, I'd like a job, and I, I can't tell you word for word, verbatim, but he goes, uh, what do you do, and I said, hey, I'm, a, I'm an exercise rider, he said, really, he said, how long have you been doing it, I said, oh, about three years, and he said, where are you from, I said, Kentucky, and I guess automatically he thought, sold, you know, that, yeah, you know, he, he can do it, I ain't never been on the horse full in my life. <laughs> So he, got, he gave me a job, and he told me I need to go get an ID, come back, and he'll put me to work on some, you know, uh, I, I can ride horses. So uh two or three days go by, and uh, I'm thinking, well, how would I get this ID? Well, it's real easy. You just go in there. I found from another guy. You just go in there to the racing commission, and you give them a birth date that states that you're 18. So I gave them my brother's birth date. And so I went in there and got my ID. Uh, get the old lady, get a get a good buzz going to go back to have enough courage, talk to this guy, and I got my ID. He said, I'll see you at 4 o'clock in the morning. I said, all right. So now I got the job. You know, and I went home and told mother-in-law I got the job. So everybody's excited but me. <laughs> so I'm really scared here. So what do you do in order to, to learn how to ride racehorses overnight? First, you gotta have a real good buzz, <laughs> and then watch a lot of ra- westerns. You know, <laughs> so, so that's what I did. And it, you know, it's amazing that you know uh, she had this little black and white television, and that's what it played that night. It was these old westerns, you know, Roy Rogers and Dale Clark, and you know, you hear the, you know, the horses, the old school horses, you know. So I'm just watching it intensely. You know, I'm getting a real good buzz. I'm like, I can do that. I can ride them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm Willie Shoemaker. I can't wait to get there. So I appeared the next morning, you know, on time, hyped up, hiring a kite. They put me up on this racehorse, and, uh, you know, I thought I could fool the guy. And uh, I had no idea he was fooling me. But I, I got on this horse, and I just kind of watched. They pony out there. And I just kind of watched what everybody else was doing and hell. Hell, I, was, you know, I was doing it. So, you know, I did it two or three times. It was great. I mean, just you know, man, I'm, I'm the natural. You know what I mean? But, dude, I'm ready for you know the Derby. I can run them. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but I was doing it. And I, I thought I had him faked out. So after a couple of days, me thinking I got him faked out, I come find out he had me faked out. Cause he put me on one that did something I really, really didn't want to do, which was go super fast. And I get on that horse, and see, from 4 in the morning till 4 in the morning, it seemed like it come around every two hours. Because <laughs> I, I I drink, and then i come home, and the kids, you know, there was no school. They hadn't been enrolled, and I'd deal with the kids, and then I'd drink some more, and then I'd smoke some of that funny, you know, wacky-backy, and just hyped up all the time, man. So, you know, time just flew. So two or three days, something like that, i go in there. He puts me on that horse, and it's going super, super duper fast. I lost my mind. I am scared to death. I mean, oh my God. The horse gets loose. I let go of the reins. It won't stop. They're hollering suggestions over the rail. Like, give him his head. Give him his head. I don't even have the reins, you know. They're talking about pull back, pull back. So I'm grabbing a hold of him, not wanting to die. I grab him. And then he does something I really didn't want him to do, which was stop. <laughs> so over the rail I went. I, I, hit, I hit the rail. I wake up as a cripple. My first spiritual experience, I never knew what they were until I come to AA. There was a dude in white talking about, he had a light on his head. Who are you? Who are you? I'll never forget just as long as I live. It knocked me unconscious. I was unconscious for about 11 hours. And I had come to, and that's what I remember. Who are you? And that, I did not know that was my first interrogation either. You know, I'm laying there, I'm like, Marshall Whitlock. He said, no, you're not. The medical records don't match up. Is that your brother? I'm looking at him, and, you know, I can't escape the truth. You know, I just look at him and... Head goes down. I went to shake his hand. I had a hard time moving my, moving my arm to shake his hand. I had a broke collarbone, and it was worse. I was in traction, and uh, I was told that I'd never walk again. Yeah, I'm a cripple. And the the feds have my old lady. She's been charged with kidnapping. <laughs> I still don't know what the outcome was, but they charged her with kidnapping. You know, I seen her, you know, oh, man, this is messed up. Yeah, it was messed up. They marched her out, and, you know, I had a little tear went down my eye, and i was like, <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know to this day whatever happened to that lady. I swear to God. <laughs> Hopefully they lo- locked her up, you know what I mean? You run around molesting children and stuff, you know. but uh, <laughs> So I'm a cripple. I'm in trouble for the first time in my life. I'm in, you know, they got me, you know, and uh, I, I get the sense of, uh, man, uh, phew, this is real, you know. I don't like reality. I like to escape reality, just to hear now, you know, just like get away from. It. I don't want to deal with the scrap, and, and 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 I really need something to do that, except I can't go get it. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty messed up here. So th- they put me on a bus, uh, on a wheelchair. Uh, yeah, sent me with a U.S. marshal. He was my babysitter. And, and they brought me back up here to Lexington. And my mother had made me, she'd signed over whatever to me to the state. So I was a ward of the state. And, uh, you know, I had this big resentment toward my mom for doing it. And see, I'm I of the alcoholic type that I'm not at fault for anything. You know, I, I, I never learned this until I come to Alcoholics Anonymous. I am a full-blown victim in everything I do. I got an excuse for everything. I really, truly do. And, you know, it, in light of, you know, what it keeps doing to me, I still got a plausible excuse, you know. It ain't got to do with my behavior. I ain't taking responsibility. But, um, you know, they send me to, to this, um, boys' home. Um, it's called a mass group home. And I get to hang out with like-minded kids like me. We're all victims and we're all thinking the same thing. How the hell do we escape? How do we, <laughs> I'm in a wheelchair, you know, I'm wanting to run away. They, they, they put me on the third floor. <laughs> hey, the first time we got some substance in there, I'm not kidding you, man, I'm telling you, I will do some stuff, fantasize, and become. The first time they got some substance in there, and it had been quite a few months, and they got some in there, and I was able to put some in me, I, I thought I could walk. <laughs> I had all my buddies cheering me on. They're like, let's get out of here. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I get up out of the wheelchair and just fall straight down there, you know, kind of wiggling and stuff, and they're just laughing at me, you know. Give me some more of that stuff. I'll walk. (laughs) So, So, you know, that's my first institution. As you guys can probably see right now, you know, I ain't been completely restored to sanity. You know what I mean? Some of you guys, you know. I came to believe, though. <laughs> I got there yet. You know, like most of you serious looking people in the crowd, you know. But, uh, um, <laughs> you guys are an idiot. Well, I know that about me. <laughs> I'm okay with that today. Uh, so I go to my first uh, institution. They tell me this deal if you can uh, stay clean and sober, you know, beat these urine tests. Then we'll let you go home to Mama. I'm of the serve out variety. I had to serve it out, so at eighteen years old, I ended up uh me and some guys we break into a high school uh we were plastered. yeah, I'm trying to steal some education, you know <laughs> 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 It's, it's kind of ironic because we get caught I'm the only one to get caught and, and then on the roof and <laughs> You know years later i i owned a roofing company so you know pretty weird stuff there but uh, i got caught on the roof I, I ended up getting sent away to blackburn correctional facility uh ended up serving most of my time in there got out uh ended up serving another sentence and another sentence and another sentence i'm a three-time convicted felon a 52-time offender in and, in and out of fayette county jail yep <laughs> chronic <laughs> i told you all i told you i get drunk man i fantasize i you know and i become most of the time i thought i was the invisible man you know <laughs> i could just steal stuff and nobody would see it you know <laughs> that's just what i do so you know i got to live that away and uh you know this alcohol and these other substances man uh i, I, I never pinpoint it that that was really my problem, you know, uh, I thought conditions, and you know I thought other people, and I thought if you didn't just go down that street, you wouldn't got to do you know that intelligent alcoholic thinking, you know, yeah, such and such wouldn't have told on me, you know what the hell's up with that? you know, I get all this stuff going on in, in my life, but yet i can't I can't pinpoint that alcohol is playing a role here. I can't pinpoint that this is y'all call it a symptom. I call it a condition, you know. I mean, a symptom. I mean, really, man, that's a big symptom there. Uh, but anyway, I get into uh, more crime and more crime and more crime. Uh, I get put away uh, this last time. I'm facing 25 years in prison. Uh, everybody got quiet. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> it's not a joke anymore. Uh, I signed off for 15 years with no possibility of probation. Matter of fact, when the woman came over and did my PSI, which for some of you folks in here, you ever been incarcerated? They do what they call a pre-sentence investigation, and uh, they kind of update where you've been in life, who your family folks are, your institutional behavior, and all that old stuff, and you know, they they do that to you every time they about to send you down the river. And this lady come in there and she wanted to update mine and uh, of course you know uh, being the inmate that I am I live for probation and outdates that's what I live for that's all I know You know, and, and, and I'm kind of like what they talk about in the book I have the great obsession that someday somehow I'll be able to control it I have that uh, idea that you know if I stay off of it for long enough I can go back to it you know I have that idea that uh, you know it'll be different if I get off this and switch you know just all of those stuff it describes in the book I didn't know none of that stuff at the time. So, uh, you know, she came in a, a, and asked me. She said, uh, uh, you know, this, this information, I gave it to her, and the first thing popped out of my mouth was, you think I can get probation? And she giggled at me. <laughs> I was like, really? So, you know, I, I sign off for 15 years. They take me over to the courtroom. Uh, after two weeks, see, so you can sign this thing called rocket docket, which means you plead guilty by information and they get you a final sentence within two weeks. So I did that, and uh, no possibility of probation. So I go on to court. I get up in front of one of the circuit court judges that I have yet to see, and uh, I walk in and another spiritual experience. I walk in, and the judge looked at me and goes, he said, Mr. Whitlock, He said, you got anything to say? You know how they do the formalities and all that. You've been charged, blah, blah, blah. And do do you uh, 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 willfully sign this? Nobody promised you that and all that old stuff. And I said, yeah. He said, you got anything to say before I pass sentence? Right there, my recovery began. I had actually run out of stuff to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's when my recovery began. And uh, you know, I I didn't have nothing to say. And uh he looked at me, and he said, Mr. Whitlock, I'm gonna impose it fifteen years that the people recommend But and I hyped all up, you know, but and uh he goes, uh Have you ever addressed your substance abuse problem? No, 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 I haven't. <laughs> you know, what are you gonna say? Yeah, a couple times, you know. No, <laughs> No, 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 I had it. And he goes, you, you think you might uh, need some help? And, of course, you know, my, my, I raise up on my feet, you know, and my jumpsuit goes up the crack of my butt, and I'm all, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, I'm going to give you one shot, Mr. Whitlock. I'm going to send you over to that recovery program. And see, I, I'm a first-timer to this, guys. I'm, I'm brand new. And, you know, I, I want to stay that way. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, you know. But uh, I go over there. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Back it up a little bit. He says, do you think you need help? And see, this is how I know, and this is of my own belief, that Alcoholics Anonymous is not for people that want it or people that need it. I think the ones that stay sober are the people that do it. Because here's my own experience. When he asked me, do you want help? Absolutely. He said, do you think you need help? Absolutely. After two days in the recovery program, I don't need this crap. (laughs) But he had told me before I left here to go back to the jail. He said, Mr. Whitlock, I'm going to impose the 15 years, but I'm going to probate it. And you know what? And these were his exact words in open court. He said, usually I probate people for five years. He said, but I'm going to probate you for three because I don't want to be in suspense that long. (laughs) That's that's some hardcore stuff right there, man. See, my jaw drops open. I'm like, I can't believe you said that. But I got probation, you know. So I go over to the jail, and, uh, you know, I get to go through the recovery program. He also told me uh, that it's a myth that you are through with your sentence in judge after he gives you your sentence. He said that he could put a note inside my uh, jacket that says, serve him out completely day for day. He can send that to the parole board. That's what he told me. He said, so if you have one infraction, then you're going to go do day for day. I'll make sure of it. I'm like, okay. He was serious. So I go to the recovery program. I go in there. Like I said, you know, after two days, I didn't want any crap. I'm confused about this power. Man, who comes in Alcoholics Anonymous knowing about Alcoholics Anonymous except, <laughs> except your chronic relapser? But I'm brand new. I'm in this recovery program. And, I, you know, guys talk about powerlessness and, you know, and insanity and unmanageability and turning over wheel and all this stuff. And, and you know, I'm like, man, you know, it's really Greek to me. So I asked my counselor. I said, what's up with this powerlessness? He said, look back over your life. Did 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 you go and get screwed up when you didn't want to get screwed up? Y'all just heard my story, <laughs> you know. And it cost me my education. I almost died. I, you know, been charged. You know, all this felonies. And then he goes, "Well, hey, were you real screwed up when you came here, even though you didn't want to get this fifteen years?" I'm like, "Yeah." He said, "You might be powerless." Then he goes, "This unmanageability is probably easy for you. You probably can't even manage to call a family member." He was right. Every number I call it say That number's restricted. <laughs> do do do, do. <laughs> Sometimes Meg because of my pride I get on that phone and I'd pretend like I'm talking to people. <laughs> I didn't want anybody to know what a low bottom case I was, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I had such pride. I'd sneak out there and get a you know, one of them indigent packs and you know, I was state raised, you know. I really was, but uh, anyway, I, I, I get the uh, parole uh, probated out. I go to the homeless shelter. What time is? it? Is the time to get sober? <laughs> hey, that's what happened. I went to the judge. Run out of bright ideals. I think that's all. Uh, run out of bright ideals. Go to the recovery program. Make it to the homeless shelter, and uh, that's the men's recovery program down here at the on Loudon inside Lexington. And what a nice resort we have here Oh, it was horrible I mean, good God, man It was the worst you. I've slept in them kind of places and been okay But I was really, really buzzed Sober? Oh, my God I'm looking at green toenails and stuff coming out of people's faces And, you know, oh, beards And, you know, people making noises out of different orifices And, man, I'm just freaked out here, man Plus, I'm the proudest guy at the homeless shelter, too, you know. I'm full of pride. You know, I ain't squatting in that toilet right there. No, sir. No. I am not bathing in that shower. That thing ain't fit to wash horses in. I am not going in it. Yes. No, I don't want to hug you. Get back away from me. They tried that stuff in prison. (laughs) and you ain't even trying to offer me nothing. <laughs> you know? So, you know, I went with all that stuff. Then I started going to my AA meetings. And I, you know, I I met some guys, man, that had something I wanted. You know, and I also met one that basically told my story at a speaker meeting. And uh, you know, he told me things like this cuz I was in a recovery program, and the number one deterrent for people that are in treatment centers is people like Jamie. <laughs> Hot people of the opposite sex. It's hard to have a spiritual awakening when you get derailed and you find some other higher power, you know. So, you know, my sponsor told me when I was in a homeless shelter, he said, boy, you ain't got nothing off or none of them. I said, why you say that? He said, you're in a homeless shelter, fool. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what's the best you're going to do, you know, take them down to Salvation Army and shop or something? <laughs> See, he spoke my language. You know what I mean? You know, I was like, yeah, he's telling me the truth here. So he told me to leave the women alone. He told me to go to the AA. He said, you go to AA and they don't judge you. And I'm like, really? So I go in there and the first thing y'all say is stick with the winners. Yeah. So some of you guys, I'm going to have to deem you as a loser. <laughs> 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 That's up. You know? So, uh, you know, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous. I absolutely love Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll tell you what it's like now. I did some amends. Yeah. I went from a victim to a survivor. That's what happens when you do a fourth step. And a fifth step and a sixth step. And, a, you know, and you heal up in, in, in the steps. And amends and all that good stuff. I have a conscious contact with a God of my own understanding. You know, you hear a lot of talk about uh, God and... You know, you go to AA meetings and everybody wants to define it and have big, long discussion meetings about it and this, that, and the other. I'll tell you, my only religious leaning was when I was in uh, in the hood and these religious people came up to me because we were poor and they put us on that little school bus, me and two or three other little white kids and all black kids, and it was right during desegregation. And these white people would come over and take us to a Baptist church. And they'd give us little donuts and give us milk and things like that. This is the only, the only time I had any, any leaning toward religion or God or anything. And we'd be on the bus and them little kids would be talking about, I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. And all of them was wanting to whoop me. And then I had the religious people that they take me inside the church, my little dirty butt, and take me in there and give me donuts and milk and kinda, you know, show me off to, you know, their 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 uh, crocheting buddies and their church church friends and you know, try to treat me like a little shiny penny, you know what I mean? They're getting credit with God. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, that that was my only my only leaning toward God or religion or spirituality or anything. So when I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm a guy that never believed in anything. I just kind of gave up believing in myself. And it started out for me just uh, believing in my sponsor. He told me some things to do. I did what he told me to do. I worked the fourth and the fifth step. I've been rocketed into a uh, an existence of which I'd never dreamed. Uh, here I am years later talking at some big fancy-dancy speaker meeting at a conference that that they say, don't take yourself so damn serious. (laughs) Nine years clean and sober instead of nine years down there on the yard. I'm grateful for that. My God of my understanding has a hell of a sense of humor. Check this out, what it's like today, folks. I came out of a homeless shelter and I followed those simple directions. I worked the steps to the best of my ability. I I don't take myself so damn serious. I truly, truly don't, man. I'm I'm a guy that likes to have fun with this deal. I've seen people come in here and get so damn serious they get drunk. And then I, I go to meetings and then I get into some people that have degrees in big bookology, you know. They share such Shakespearean stuff. I'm like, you don't even belong here. You are too sober. Can't nobody relate to that shit. Sorry about that, Beard. Beard told me to watch my language, y'all. So, uh, you know, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous. I absolutely love this deal. I went from a homeless guy uh at one point in time, when I was in prison, my daughter was born. She was raised by another man. At four years old, when I get out of treatment, I'm following what my sponsor tells me to do. I get hooked up with some people in AA uh, that guide me. I go to all men's meetings. Uh, you know, the soap opera stuff is not for me. Uh, the, the being derailed from a spiritual experience, it's not for me. I need to get my life in order. So, you know, I laid off the women. Uh, I'm going to all men's meetings. I start participating in life and doing this stuff they tell me to do. I end up taking this guy to court. First time in my life, I am a plaintiff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got custody of that little girl. Because of working a fourth step and a fifth step, and admitting my wrongs and seeing where I was at fault and doing that stuff and making amends to the guy that was raising her, when I got in there and, you know, it was disputed because he'd had her ever since she'd been born and she was four years old. But because of these steps and because of this responsibility that I have taken and willing to make the matter straight, when I got in there and his lawyer was picking me apart, I claimed every bit of it. I'd already claimed it in my fifth step. didn't have no power over me. And I knew my motive was good. I'm there for the best interest of my child. I do not want her to grow up like I did with daddy issues. I did not want her confused, calling another man daddy. I wanted this to be clear, that we do recover. Those are the words I used to the uh, uh, other guy's lawyer. I came out of there that day with a four-year-old little girl who did not know me, barely knew me, and I came out of there And when I came out of that courthouse, I looked at that man and I told him, I said, look, the best interest of this child is for her to continue to see you. So I'll make sure that happens. The only thing different is I'm not driving to your house no more. (laughs) And as I got away from there, man, be careful what you pay for because I got a four-year-old little girl, and I don't even know how to raise myself. (laughs) So I get her and me, and it's like almost 5.30 in the afternoon. I'm headed to the 6 o'clock AA meeting. I'm going to tell everybody what God did for me. And you know that little girl, I subjected her to so much AA that she, her first year of school, she came home to me during her, her first week or so, and she, she looked at me and she said, Well, my home group teacher... <laughs> i got to find somebody to watch this kid. You know what I mean? i gotta to take care of them beats. You know what I mean? And, and uh, you know, I, I've had custody of her ever since. I'm a homeowner today. Man, uh, I don't like to say this because I've been blessed beyond belief. That's why I'm so damn happy. I went from a guy that couldn't hold $2 to my second year in my business. I started a business. My second year in business. I went through $553,000. That was my total sales. And I employ people that come out of that insane asylum. I don't have very much excess. (laughs) I don't. As of right now, I have to sub all my work to other people, but I still keep going back over, giving back what was given to me. And I'm also your corrections chairperson for District 28. I go down there to that jail to which I was a 52-time offender. Walked in there, my first visit, and the guard looked at me, he said, I I quit. I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah, he's talking to another CO. He's like, they're giving a damn inmate's keys now. (laughs) So I'm your corrections chairperson down in Lexington. I go to Blackburn, to which I used to serve, uh, (laughs) time, you know, uh, Fayette County Jail. I go down there every The highlight of my week is going to jail. It is. I don't never miss a, I don't never miss a Tuesday. Never. No matter what's going on. And walk in there, no matter what's going on in my world, and come out of there on cloud nine. No jumpsuit, no flip flops, no get up, no get down, you know, no trays, no commissary, no, none of that crap. I'm happy, joyous, and free. And I live out in a place, and I'm, I'm gonna close with this. I went from a, a guy that the police used to be looking for constantly. To God put me in a, a, you know, we bought a home, a $250,000 home with five acres, man. A guy like me. Do you know my only neighbor is a Lexington police officer? (laughs) And he's a drunk. I met him. He had a tumbler full of Jim Beam or something, some kind of bourbon. He'd come walking up there. Hey, who are you? And I'm looking at him like, who the hell are you? You know, he's trespassing. You know what I mean? That's what I'm thinking. He, you know, I see this car down there. You know, I got this. You know, I want to tell you that I've dealt with the resentment, but you know, I'm like, you know. And he's sloshing this uh, 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 bourbon all about his cup. And I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. He's like, who the hell are you? And I said, hey, man, I'm a guy that just bought the place. And he's like, really? He said, why are, you, why are you down there mowing down all the grass? You're messing up my rabbit patch. I'm like, because it's man. <laughs> he, said, he, he looked at me and said, I kind of like you. I said, Yeah, really? And he said, Yeah, why don't you come down here and uh, we'll have some of them big boy drinks. And I looked at him and I said, You ain't got enough down there. He said, You don't drink? I said, No. He said, You smoke that pot. <laughs> I said, If I did, I'm not telling you. <laughs> Hey, I think my time is up. And, uh, you know, I want to wish Brian the best. He's your next speaker. I sure wish he would have went first, though. (laughs) I do. I could have made fun of him. That's all I got.